good to be with you all tonight. Um, I, uh, I'm really glad to be here. Um, not so much so because I have to speak, because I'm kind of nervous about that. <coughs> Excuse me. But I'm glad to be with y'all. I love RUF. Um, I can't tell you how much RUF helped me in just personally, in my own soul and in my own life. Um, I wish that I'd had something like RUF when I was in college, and I didn't. And so for me to go into the ministry and then be able to serve with RUF um, as a campus minister is really one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, it, it helped me more than I could even begin to articulate. Not just because I got to be with guys like Matt Howell and Chris Horn and David Fisk and Paul Patrick and the others that are here, some of them I don't know as well, but um, I got to be with students, and I loved that. Um, campus ministers will probably never be able to articulate how how much students mean to them. And I wept like a baby for weeks when I left RUF. Uh, and it was really hard. Um, so I'm very privileged to have had the opportunity to, to serve with RUF. And now I'm here in front of you and it's weird. <laughs> Now I speak every week to our congregation, and it's the same and yet somewhat different. Um, but thanks for thanks for letting me come, and uh, perhaps I'll get to watch some football with you tomorrow. You team? All right. Well, if you have a Bible, let's look together at the Gospel of Mark tonight. We're going to look at the first 15 verses of chapter one. We're going to do a pretty broad, sweeping, scope picture look look see at the first 15 verses of Mark one. So, if you have a Bible. Um, I'm going to read these verses to you. If you don't, then you can just listen. In the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And I quote, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray together. 
Thank you, God, that we can be together at this place, that we can sit under your word. Lord, your word is true and it's powerful and it really does shape and inform everything about us. Um, God, would you work in our hearts this weekend so that our lives might revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ? Help us to stop living someone else's dream. Help us to find that we have everything in Christ. Help us to realize afresh that, that Jesus is true and real and important and relevant and necessary. And that if we have him, we have everything. So God, help, help us tonight. Help us this weekend make, again, make our lives revolve around Jesus and start with me. In Jesus' name, in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. God gives us these gospel accounts to introduce and reintroduce us to Jesus. That means if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, well, guess what? We're going to look at the gospel of Mark, and one of the main reasons why God gives us the gospel accounts is so that you can know who Jesus is. Not who people say he is, not who you might have imagined that he is, but he's given us the gospel account so that we might know who he really is, what he really said, what he really did, where he went, and everything that we need to know is for us in these gospel accounts. And those of you that know the Lord Jesus, we need to be reintroduced to Jesus over and over and over again. Let me tell you why. If I were to ask you who the Lord Jesus is or give you some kind of test, more than likely you'd be able to do really well on that test. You'd probably be able to say that uh, he came from heaven, that um, he was God's son, and, and a bunch of other things. You probably would do really well and pass that test. The problem is, is that most of the time our hearts don't work that way. Our hearts don't live out what we say we think we know about Jesus. Most of the time, our hearts function as if Jesus is kind of falls into three categories, and there's overlap here. And maybe this doesn't apply to you at all. Maybe this is just me. Most of the time, we live as if Jesus is like a superhero. We think that he came from a far distant place. He had somewhat of a strange birth. He's stronger than my daddy. But he came here to beat the bad guys, and he came to this earth and to like, pursue the good people. He's for good people, and he is going to get rid of all the bad people. That's how our hearts typically function. Another way is not just thinking of him as a superhero, but, but living as if he's like this teacher of the year award winner. That Jesus has lots of experience and he's got a lot of wisdom and he can really help you out. He can give you like these nuggets of truth, but he's not really any different from any other big historical philosopher or figure or whatever. And our hearts live often as if that's the way Jesus is. That, well, if I just need some wisdom or I need something, I can go to him and surely he's going to say something I haven't thought about before. Or maybe he's going to say something in a way that I haven't worded in that way before. Maybe he's going to give me something I need for today. And that's why most of the time we, we wonder, well, how in the world can I do my devotions? And we just open up the Bible and, you know, close our eyes and boom, and then read it. 
Most of the time our, our hearts function as if he just has this wisdom. Another way our hearts function is that we think of him as like this miracle cream. You know, Jesus, Jesus is the guy that I go to when I'm really, really down or really, really desperate. Jesus is who I need when I'm in pain or when I'm going through a tremendous challenge or when I'm under affliction, when I'm suffering in some way. Because he's the guy that, that doesn't want me to go, have any pain. He never wants me to go through any really difficult challenges. And he's just that guy that I just go to when I'm really down because he doesn't want anything to be wrong. And so I just go to him and, t and just like scoop a big pile of cream and just slap some on, slap some Jesus on me. <laughs> you know, some of you, that's probably uh, maybe how you started coming to you. You started thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I need to be a better person. So I, I want to maybe get involved in the ministry. I'll go to RUF and I'll, I'll go there. Maybe I'll just slap some Jesus on you and see if that'll help. We see, God gives us these gospel accounts because our hearts often function. Even if we know something about Jesus in our minds, our hearts don't always function in a way that's consistent, even if we know the right things about Jesus. And Mark's gospel actually tells us about Jesus through a story. You might not have caught this from reading it, but really the first phrase of this account in chapter 1 is like this amazing, exciting declaration. This is the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark seems to be a really excitable guy. He's always using this word immediately and just like moving from one thing to the next. He's like this guy that has really hyper ADHD before we call it that. You, hear, you see, you read him, and he's saying something, and boom, he just shifts, and he's somewhere else. Well, he gives us the story of Jesus. This is probably the earliest account we have of the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's, scholars will tell you there's unbroken tradition that Mark wrote this. The story begins with this announcement, and it is history-shaping. It is life-altering news. And there are two things that I want to show you tonight. The first is that this message, this declaration from this first statement, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it's not really a new message, as if it hasn't been stated before. It's not a new message. Look at the text. The few verses after verse 1 tell you that this is not a new message. This message of the coming of Jesus is actually rooted in history. There's an Older Testament that was written. And you can't really understand what's going on here in Mark's Gospel, what's going on in the New Testament, unless you understand the Older Testament, the first part of the story. You see, there's a connection between the two. And Mark's saying, look, the coming of Jesus, it was talked about way before this time that I'm writing. And he brings out the prophecy of Isaiah. You can see that in verses 2 and 3. He quotes Isaiah. Isaiah lived like 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah was proclaiming about the Savior that was going to come. He said that there's going to be a voice that's going to cry out in the wilderness. That's what it says in verse 3. There's a voice that's coming. And the, and, and the reason why that voice is coming 
is that it, that voice is going to prepare the way for the Lord. That voice is going to declare that Jesus is almost here. That voice is preparing you to receive the birth of Jesus and preparing you to receive and me to receive the whole story of Jesus' life. And Mark says this has been talked about for a long time. That voice actually is connected to a person, obviously. His name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was that voice that was crying in the wilderness, prepare, get ready. And apparently John the Baptist had a really large following. If you look at verse 5, it tells you that people were coming from everywhere to hear this message of John. John the Baptist was not only super popular, but as much as you might think that that should go to his head, he was actually really intentional about telling people, look, I'm not really that mighty, I don't really have that much power at all. The one who's coming after me, he is the one that you need to be waiting for. He's the one that you need to be looking for. As a matter of fact, I am really insignificant compared to Jesus. I'm not even worthy to bend down and unloose the strap of his sandal. Jesus is coming and he is mighty. Look at verse 7. He has way more power than I do. You see, John the Baptist wants us to connect the dots. All of us are always looking for people to follow, aren't we? And for whatever reason, we're always looking in the wrong direction. John could attract a huge crowd, but it didn't matter if they didn't understand his message. It didn't matter if everyone followed John the Baptist. If they didn't understand that John's message was about Jesus, and that Jesus was coming, and that Jesus is the one that matters. You see, John wants us to connect these dots. You notice that it says in verse 2 and 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You see, the Lord is Jesus. It's true. Jesus is really divine. He really is the Son of God. He really is deity. In Mark's mind, Jesus was divine. In Isaiah's mind, the Lord is Jesus and the Lord and Jesus are divine. In John the Baptist's mind, Jesus is divine. He's God. The second thing that I want you to know is that this is not only not a new message, but I want you to know, if you haven't guessed already, that Mark and John want us to be preoccupied with Jesus himself. You see, look at verse 15. Jesus is coming. Jesus came, and he came to build a kingdom. He says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came to build a kingdom. It's a dominant theme in his teaching and in his life. And this idea of the kingdom is not some social program to fix the world's problems. You realize that as all of us gather here tonight that every one of us is building somebody's kingdom? You know that? You are building someone's kingdom. Whether it's the institution where you are, where you're paying, and learning, borrowing, 
to learn, whether it's the job that you have. We are always building someone's kingdom. Maybe you're not building anyone else's kingdom other than your own. Maybe everything that we're doing is just for ourselves. You ever thought about that? It's easy to fall into that trap where we're just living for ourselves, building our own kingdom, not thinking about the bigger picture. You realize how preoccupied we often are just with ourselves rather than Jesus? I heard one man say one time that nothing renders us more boring than being self-absorbed. Nothing makes me more boring than just thinking about myself all the time. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What do these people think about me? What, what am I going to do tomorrow? Have I been, I don't know, wronged? Am I right? Am I succeeding? Nothing renders us more boring than being preoccupied with ourselves. Don't you notice in your own relationships? I mean, surely you know people around you that all they want to do is talk and think about themselves. And isn't it just, doesn't it just drain you? There's no real interest in you and your life and, and what you're thinking. It's just about them. And it's, it just sucks the life out of you. You know that? And if, and if you're the person that's always just thinking about yourself, don't you realize how much that's just like killing all the joy in your life? It's really hard to live a life in which you're just thinking about yourself all the time. But yet we often exhaust ourselves doing that. Jesus is building a kingdom, and what that means is that his kingdom is really bigger and deeper, and it's all-encompassing. Jesus' kingdom is better than anything you can ever imagine. The, the ultimate purpose of his kingdom is the renewal of the world. That's a pretty big deal. Jesus is at work to change everything, and he will. You see, the way that Christianity looks at the kingdom, and the way that Christianity looks at what Jesus is doing in the kingdom, is you can think of it this way. Is that, from a Christian perspective, kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus is hope in action. As long as you understand that hope is a person. Jesus is building his kingdom. He's spreading his news. He's declaring his victory. He is renewing people all of the time and changing everything. And it's deeper and broader and more encompassing than you could even imagine. And Jesus comes and John says, this guy, look to Jesus, look to him. And Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is now. I'm here. And he's been spreading his hope and changing people and changing the world for 2,000 plus years. Something else is here too. In thinking about building Jesus' kingdom, in thinking about his kingdom, just what it is, and hope and action, 
You see, it's challenging us so that we will realize that there really is moment-by-moment significance to our lives. You might feel as though what you're doing on campus is really insignificant, and it isn't. You might feel as though being a student isn't the first thing that you should be thinking about, and it really is. Outside of loving God and serving and repenting and believing, being a faithful student where you are is so important. Loving your roommate. All those things that your campus ministers tell you all the time, it really does matter. But most of the time we want to live off these kind of, I don't know, we want to live off the fumes of these spiritual highs. And as you get older, you'll realize that those really don't amount to much. What really matters is the moment by moment realizing that God is really at work and that He's doing something amazing and most of the time things will happen that you don't even imagine even in your own life. Well, Jesus is not only building a kingdom but I want you to know that Jesus identifies with you and me. We see that in the verses particularly 11 and 12 and following. Jesus identifies with us in the fact that He was tempted Look at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Jesus identifies with you. He identifies with me. He knows what it's like to feel the pull and the tug and the pressure of sin and temptation. He really does. Jesus came into this world as a man. He took on humanity so that he might relate to us as human beings. And you might face incredible temptations. I know you do all the time. And you need to know that Jesus can relate to that. He knows what it's like to feel the pressure of those habits that are wrong and hurtful, and just bring about shame. He understands the pull and the pressure of temptation. He endured it. He can sympathize with you. He can relate to what you feel and what you think and what you experience. But there's something else here that tells you that he identifies with you and me. And there it is in his baptism. That's in the verses before you see, John came baptizing. It says for the forgiveness of sins, the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was baptized by John. But Jesus never sinned, right? He felt the pull and the pressure of sin. He never sinned. So what in the world is this? What is this? That Jesus, why would Jesus have to be baptized? You see, from the very beginning, it means that Jesus was willing to be identified with sinners. He doesn't only experience what it's like to be tempted. He actually was willing to be identified with sinners. He identifies with you and he identifies with me. And what's so amazing about this is that after Jesus was baptized, isn't it awesome? He comes up out of the water and the heavens open up and there's this amazing declaration from God. 
And God says, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Let me, let me try to communicate to you the best I can on what's going on here. When I was young, I have a younger brother. And when my brother and I were still at home, oftentimes we would nap in the living room, on the living room floor, usually on Sunday afternoons. I have a good relationship with my dad. Um, we're close. Um, although as he's getting older, things are changing and it's kind of weird. I know you guys experience the same thing when you go off to college and relationship with your parents like gets weird, but it just in really strange ways you weren't expecting. That's what's happened to me now, just my parent, my dad's getting older. And I was always close with my dad growing up. And there was a time in my life where I thought I was going to lose my dad. About eight years ago, we had a heart transplant. That's kind of a big deal. And it was a long time of him suffering and almost dying. And to be honest with you, I didn't know what I was going to do if I lost my dad eight years ago. And I remember when I was little, taking naps on the living room floor. And I would always race my brother to beat him to the floor. Not only physically would I beat him to the floor, but I would get there before he would. And I always wanted to lay close to my dad on his left side. And I would always put my head on my dad's heart. Because I wanted to hear it. This was way before I knew he had anything wrong with his heart. I just wanted to hear his heartbeat. And there were times when I would lay on my dad's chest and I would hear his heart and I would try to breathe in exactly the same pattern as he did. Because I love my dad. And I wanted to be like my dad. And I want you to understand that when Jesus is baptized, you are getting a glimpse of your father's heart. What's going on when Jesus is baptized and comes up out of the water and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want you to understand that if you have Jesus, this is exactly what God says to you. God says, you are my child and I love you. And you know what's so awesome about that? is that the heavens split open and God yelled it out so everyone could hear it. In the same way that you've always wanted to be told that you're loved and that you matter, right here, the God of the universe is telling you that if you're in Jesus, he loves you as his own child. Now you might be wondering, well, how in the world can I access this? Because I certainly don't feel that right now. Well, the way that you access this and bring this into your life and understand that this is a reality, the way you cognitively, cognitively and the way your heart functions and lives this way every day, the way that happens is you understand what Jesus says. Look at what he says after he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, Jesus identifies with us. 
Jesus feels the temptation. He feels the pull of it and the weight of it. But he didn't sin the way that we do. And Jesus, this beautiful story of Jesus, and I know we're just hitting this so quick. The rest of the weekend isn't going to be like this. We're going to do more stories. But you've got to understand that the way this story becomes your story is when you begin to understand repentance and faith. You see, this message of Jesus and all that he did is really for a sinful people. It's for folks like us. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. He's pulling you into the story. He's pulling me into the story. He's saying, the fact that I'm here, the fact that John the Baptist was preparing the way for me, come on in the story. Don't live outside this story. This is the greatest story ever. I'm building a kingdom that the gates of hell can't even defeat. I'm building a kingdom in which your momentary life, day by day, moment by moment, matters. So you're not looking for the next big thing because all of us are adrenaline junkies. You think I'm not? Just wait till you see me watch Tennessee football tomorrow. We are adrenaline junkies and we need something that's deeper than that. We need something that's more comprehensive than that. We need something that really gets down deep into our soul and into our heart. And Jesus is pulling you into the story and says, repent and believe. So what in the world does that mean? Let me put it to you this way. Repenting and believing is turning from as much as you know of your sin. And it's giving as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of God. You see, it's not about saying the right thing and saying the right thing with the right words and the right time and the right place. It's about you acknowledging everything about yourself in the, in the most broken, messed up words possible. <laughs> Giving all that you are to as much as you know about God. That's how this story becomes your story. And until you see Jesus identifying with you, it's going to seem really abstract. And until you begin to realize that hope really is an action in the world, it's going to seem like, man, what am I chasing? Where do I go? Where am I going to find rest? Where am I going to find hope? When you understand what Jesus has done and that he's inviting you to come in, it changes everything. It really does. So this weekend, we're going to look at Four things that you can't live without. Four things you can't live without. Don't, don't get me wrong. You can exist. But you can't really live without these four things that I'm going to tell you. You can't really function and thrive and find joy. You have to have at least these four things. And the first one is this. You cannot live without the Father's voice. You can't do it. Words have incredible power. And they are meant to impress us and leave indelible marks on our lives. Don't go another day without hearing good words. Some of you have come here and you haven't, you haven't heard a good word in a long, long time. 
And I'm talking about truthful words. I'm talking about words like, I love you, and you matter. And God gives that to you here. I want you to understand, no one in your life has promised to love you like God does. So when you get mad at your roommate, when you get frustrated with whatever's going on in your life, just know, they didn't promise to love you the same way God did. Don't expect them to. You can't live without a father's voice. You need it. I need it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us this amazing story so that we might read and think about it together. And God, you know that perhaps I've messed up a bunch of this. I don't know. I don't think I did. I try to be faithful. But Lord, I pray that you would take the truth and that you would press it deep down into us. That you would help us remember that this isn't a new story, even though it might be brand new to us. Help us to remember that our lives are to be preoccupied with Jesus. And that Jesus, you have come to build a kingdom that we can be a part of. You have you identified with us in being a human being and knowing the pull and the tug of sin. And you invite us into this story. Jesus, help us to turn from as much as we know about sin and give as much as we know of ourselves to as much as we know of you. And help us to live by the Father's voice, that we are loved and that we matter. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name and for your glory. Amen.